Two or three in the Lord's name is the minimum. I think we're well over that today. So, All right, I walked around and had too many preliminaries, so we've got to get right to work here. Matthew chapter 6, good morning to everyone. Buenos dias, damas y caballeros. I don't know, I've got to do this in English, don't I? <laughs> we want to have some lessons in prayer this morning because last night we spent time in, in Nehemiah's prayer. The situation that led him to prayer, and of course the key to, to the book of Nehemiah is the fact that he prayed in chapter 1. So we want to come over to Matthew chapter 6 and let the Lord teach us something this morning about prayer from a passage that we all know. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 5 to 13. The word of the Lord says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. As we come into thy presence this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks that we can come and call you Father. We give thanks for this entrance that we have, for this access that we have by the Spirit of God into your very presence. That you love us, that you receive us, that you listen to us as a father to his children. We give thanks for your word and for the liberty that we have in this country to meet together and to study it. May it always be this way. And we pray that you will help us to take advantage and make the best use possible of this liberty that you have given us. That we might grow, that we might be strengthened, that you might be honored and glorified by our lives. For we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. These are lessons in prayer that the Lord taught not to the general public, but to his disciples. And we'll see that as we go along here. Now, you know, prayer has two main facets. One is public prayer, and the other is private prayer. And what he's really teaching about here is private prayer. But never mind, prayer is prayer, wherever it is. And so some of the lessons, some of the points that he's making with them here about private prayer are also good points to remember when praying in public. But later on you have, um, in First Timothy, you have where he speaks to them about public prayer, about prayer in the church, 
when the congregation comes together to pray. The men should pray always, lifting up holy hands. Remember that in 1 Timothy 2. And he's speaking to them there about congregational prayer. A church that does not meet to pray and that does not respond to things, to, to its situations and to its needs with prayer is just really helpless, dead. There's an old bumper sticker that I had stuck on my filing cabinet because I wanted it where I could see it. And if I have it on the back of my car, I'm not ever going to see it, just the people driving behind me. So I stuck it on my filing cabinet in my study. It says, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And there's another one that says, right beside it, that says, no prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Most Christians will tell you that the biggest room for improvement in their Christian life is prayer. I never heard anybody say they think they pray enough. We always feel like we need to pray more. And notice right here at the beginning of the book of Matthew, the Lord is teaching the disciples about prayer. He could have taught them about a thousand other things. But he taught them about one of the most basic and necessary parts of the Christian life. And unfortunately, a part of life that a lot of us neglect until we get ourselves into trouble. And then we say, what? Oh, Lord. We should have said that a long time before. You see what happened to Nehemiah. This is one of the reasons I love the book of Nehemiah. Every time anything happened at all, the first thing he did was pray. And we come back to that on, in chapter 2. You want a preview? Chapter 2. On Sunday, when the king says to him, what is this? Why are you sad? Because remember, they weren't allowed to be sad in the presence of the king. He says, why are you sad? And what does it say he said to him? I said to him, well, your majesty, you see, he didn't start that. It says, in response to the king's question, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, that's one of those prayers so typical of Nehemiah in response to a a situation that arose suddenly, spontaneously. And the first reaction that he has is to pray. It's not to do anything else, to pray. That's what we call an arrow prayer, where he just shot it up, or a flare prayer. Shot up the flare, you know, rapidly. It's not one of these prayers where, uh, and I understand, I don't want to... make fun of people or belittle anyone who's who's reverent in prayer and certainly who prays like the Lord is teaching us to pray here. But some people take too long to try to get into God's presence in prayer. I've seen them and heard them just get on the floor and grovel and say, Oh, holy God, we cannot come into your presence. Uh, and they go through all of this uh, about all the attributes and names of God. And, and they say they're fighting to get into God's presence. Sorry. What happened to Peter when he's walking on the sea? Walking on the water, he gets out of the boat to walk to the Lord. And he starts, he gets his eyes off of the Lord like we do in life's problems. And he starts looking at the wind and the waves and what happened? He started to go swimming, which you do not want to do in the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm. And so, what does he say? Oh, God, three times holy and this and that and the other. He didn't have time for a long preamble. He said, Lord, save me. He got right to the point. Spontaneous prayer, instant prayer, prayer that gets right to the point. That's what Nehemiah did. 
He didn't stop and say, oh, excuse me a minute, your majesty, and get down on his knees there in front of the throne and have a little prayer meeting. Their prayer went up, and Nehemiah and God were the only ones who knew that he prayed, except us when we read it now. But at that moment, no one else knew it. It was the habit of his life. So the Lord, when he teaches the disciples here, he's teaching them about basic things that they need to know in order to follow him, in order to please God, and to walk in the will of God. And so he says in verse 5, when thou prayest, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. Because this is assumed that a Christian prays. In fact, I can tell you that in some countries of the world, they know uh, uh, people have become truly converted when they start going to prayer meeting. Because for respect of the family and for general fear of God, they might be going to, they might go every Sunday morning to the church meeting. But they start coming to prayer meeting. People say, well, look what's happened to him. Why would they say that? I mean, is that really fair to say that? What did the Lord say to Ananias? Ananias, you know, when uh, Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus and, and they took him into Damascus and the Lord went to Ananias and he said, Now, Ananias, I want you to go to the straight street where one Saul of Tarsus is. And he says, For behold, he prayeth. Behold, he's praying. Those were the words he used to convince Ananias that this was a man who was now a believer. Look, he's praying. As we speak, you could say. He's praying. This is coming to you live. This is a live feed from heaven. He's praying. Go over there and talk to him. Lay your hands on him. And he told him what to do. So we come back to this. When you pray, verse 5, when you pray, because it is one of the most basic aspects of the Christian life. It's like saying, when you breathe. There's an old hymn that says, uh, prayer is the Christian's na- native air, the Christian's vital breath. I love some of those old hymns. The message that's in them. And that's true. It's, just, it's like breathing to the Christian. When you stop praying, it's like spiritually holding your breath. You see how long you can go that way. <laughs> when you pray, he says, now, we want to think about the first two verses, five and six, and he's going to tell them how not to be, and then he's going to tell them again how not to be in verses seven and eight, and then he's going to tell them how to pray. Okay, so verses five and six. First of all, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. Verses five and six. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Do hypocrites pray? Well, apparently they do. And not only that, he says here, they love to pray. <laughs> I know Christians that, that tell me, they say, the hardest thing I find to do is to pray. You know, I, it's work. It's not, it's like it goes against my nature. It's hard for me to pray. Saying prayers... Now, that's one thing, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. No, 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 You know, they saying prayers. And some people say what they call the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. You already know that. I know you're well taught and you know this is the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17 where he prayed. Here he's teaching the disciples to pray. So this is really the disciples' prayer. But never mind, we're not going to split hairs over that. 
Everybody calls it the disciples of the Lord's Prayer, so we just have to stick with that so we don't get confused. And he's teaching them to pray, not to recite prayers. In Spain and in most countries dominated by Roman Catholicism, people don't pray. They recite. In fact, the word in Spanish, you can't, you can't translate that literally in Spanish, prayer, because they don't use that word. Orar, they don't use that word. They say rezar. Rezar, that comes from the Latin recitare. Recite. That's what they do. They recite. Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou above women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. They recite prayers. They don't pray. He says, when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Hypocrites love to pray, but how do they love to pray? They love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets. And why do they love to pray? What does he say? That, that, when you see the word that, it's introducing a reason, a purpose, an explanation. He says they love to pray that, in order that, so that they can be seen of men. And so they compose these prayers. I'll tell you a story about a man. His name was Eddie Schwartz. Uh, I don't even know where Eddie is. I haven't seen him in so many years. Uh, he was uh, speaking in uh, churches and Bible conferences in North Carolina when I was in university. I don't know if he's still in this world. But he told a story about when he first became a Christian. He was going to a men's Bible study. And at the men's Bible study, well, they had one brother open in prayer. And then they'd have this, this conversational study. And then at the end, they'd have somebody else close in prayer. Well, he'd been going to this for a few weeks and so the brother who was leading it, in order to encourage Eddie, he says to Eddie, Eddie, would you um, open in prayer next week at the Bible study? Well, he was a new Christian. He was like, me? Sure, just to open in prayer. You know, would you do that? And so he says, oh, okay. So he went home and he thought, oh, how am I going to do this? I don't know how to pray like these fellows, you know, these men who they all know the Lord and been in fellowship for years. And when they pray, all the scriptures come out and I don't know how to pray. And he started getting nervous about it. So what did he do? He composed a prayer. He got out a Bible dictionary and a book of poetry and all these things and and, uh, the hymn book, you know. And he composed this prayer with this preamble and introduction and all this flowery language you know, and a little poetry in the middle of it, and you know, this wonderful conclusion. The only thing that was missing, you know, today would be to put it with a sound mixer, you know, and have the. But back in those days, they didn't have those things. So the big day comes for the men's Bible study, and uh, so they all sit down with their cup of coffee or whatever, and the man says, uh, Brother Eddie, would you open in prayer? And he says, Sure, you know, and everybody bowed their heads. And Eddie got out his little cheat sheet, you know, and he started reading this prayer. He had it nearly memorized anyway, but he starts going through this prayer. And he went through the whole thing, and it came out just right, because he had practiced, you know, in front of the mirror, in the shower, everywhere. He had practiced, you know, so he was ready for this, and he said his prayer. And when he finished, nobody said anything to him. They said, okay, well, let's get down to today's study. And they started into the... When they got to the end of the study, which is about 45 minutes later, 
the brother who was leading the study said, Brother Eddie, that was such a wonderful prayer. Would you mind praying for us again and closing in prayer? And he goes, oh, what am I going to do? He says, I don't know how to pray. I can't do, use that again because then I'll be discovered. <laughs> so he said he bowed his head and the sweat was pouring down his brow and he was trembling. And he said, oh, Lord, thank you for the butterflies and the grass. And he just... He didn't know what to say. He said he prayed the most ridiculous prayer anybody ever prayed. <laughs> and then when everybody left, at the end, he went over to this brother and he said, Brother, I have a confession to make. You know, that first prayer, I I had it all composed and all that. And he said, I know that. That's why I ask you to close in prayer. <laughs> he said, look, nobody prays like that, brother. And so that was Eddie's lesson. In prayer, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't try to impress people. Forget that other people are listening to you, except for this. Pray loud enough so that they can hear you. Because if you're praying in a group, and you're over there with your hand over your mouth and your head down, and you're speaking in a low tone of voice, how are those around you going to be able to say amen or to join you in prayer? And especially if they're hard of hearing. And this is a, another subject I know, but Mr. McDonald, Bill McDonald used to teach us, when you speak, always remember the people who are hard of hearing. He was especially sympathetic to them. He said, imagine that the person on the back row, the furthest away, that that person is hard of hearing. Speak loud enough so that person can hear you. And he said, and then after the meeting, someone will come up to you and shake your hand and say to you these wonderful words, I heard every word you said. Remember that, he said. Well, we say the same thing. When you're praying in a group of people, pray loud enough so people can hear you. But other than that, forget that there are people there. Just talk to the Lord. Tell him what's on your heart. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, he says. They pray so that people can hear them. And they stand on the corners of the streets. They get to the places where everybody can see them. They have a high profile. And when people stop stop and look at them and admire their prayers, he says in verse 5 at the end, they have their reward. What do they get for their prayers? They get the admiration of the passers-by. That's all. Don't try to impress people with prayer. Don't try to imitate somebody else's language in prayer. Yes, we can learn from one another in prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't just be a a parrot who copies the phrases of somebody else in prayer. Pray from your heart. Don't be like the hypocrites. And he tells them in verse 6, going on, he's he's telling them what not to do in verse 5. And he's telling them how to do it in verse 6. When you pray, go into your closet. Now, that word closet can be translated literally uh, dispensary or storage room or supply room. That room, you know, where you store things, where you keep your extra paper towels and canned food and bottled water and all of that. That room, the storage room. It's interesting the Lord would use that word because that um, paints for us a picture of private prayer as going to get supplies things that you need. You go into the storage room, the supply room, shut the door. You shut the door so that people can't hear you and so that you can't be interrupted. It means to get rid of the interruptions and the distractions and pray. 
So, well, today you say, well, does that mean I have to go into my closet? And no, it means, probably means you ought to turn off the television, which some people never do. They, they knew it had an on button, but after they turned it on, they forgot it had an off button. Uh, turn it off. Turn off the radio. And if you don't want to be interrupted and, and you're not on an emergency call or something like that, turn off your cell phone, too. So you're not down there pouring out your heart in prayer and all of a sudden, Hi, what you doing? Uh, can I come over? Uh, wait, 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 wait. First, I'm busy. Well, you want to have to say all of that. Turn it off and pick up your missed calls when you're done praying. Shut your door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Who do we pray to? San Antonio. Maria, the angels. Does anybody here come from a Roman Catholic background? You know about the penitential act? What do they say at the beginning of every Mass? The act, at least in, in the Mass in Spain, the penitence, the act of penitence, they say, I confess before God the Father, and they have this whole thing, you know. And, and they pray, and at the end they say, and I ask for the. Uh, let me see. They ask for the Virgin Mary, the saints, the angels, and everyone else to pray for me. They go through all of this before they even begin the rest of the service. That's right at the beginning. They're praying to everybody except the Lord. Everybody has the saint of his devotion. They're, they're along the walls sometimes or in special alcoves. People carry them in their pockets. They have little cards. They look like what we call baseball cards here. They carry them or they have it around their neck or in their car. There's no business that doesn't have a San, I don't know what they call him over here, San Pancratio. What would that be? Pancreas? No, that's a part of the body. I don't know. I don't know what his name is in English. But anyway, he's the patron saint of, all, of commerce. So he's there in all the businesses. Well, anyway, this is who they pray to. What does it say here? Pray to your father. Pray to your Father. So we come back to this. This is prayer for Christians, prayer for believers, prayer for the family, because we're praying to a Father, our Father who is in heaven. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the prayer is in secret. The reward is openly. They had it backwards, didn't they? The first ones, the hypocrites. They prayed publicly to be heard of men, and their reward was that they got heard of men. Their prayers didn't leave the immediate vicinity. But here he's telling them, your father sees in secret, and he'll reward you openly. It's a wonderful thing to go to God in prayer with a request that no one else knows about on earth. And what's the first thing that happens to us when when we have um, needs, difficulties, things come up in our lives? What's the first thing we think of? Do we think of calling some brother or sister who might be able to help us? In another country, there was a man who lost a motorcycle. His motorcycle was stolen. The first thing he did when his motorcycle was stolen was he picked up the phone and he called a brother that he knew was wealthy. And he said, oh, brother, look, they stole my motorcycle. Why did he do this? He wasn't asking him to pray. He wanted him to supply a motorcycle. First thing he thought of, which person can help me and can supply what I need? He's in the horizontal. He's not in the vertical. 
Your father sees in secret, he'll reward you openly. But he's up there. He's up there. He's not one of these people. And he might use people to supply your need. He does use human beings to do his work. But he's the one we present our petitions to in secret. It's a wonderful thing when you can do that and then you receive an answer and you can say to people, well, you know, that actually is an answer to prayer. I was praying about that, and no one knew it. You didn't manipulate anybody with it. Evangelicalism today is full of begging preachers and begging letters. Everywhere and all the time, beg, beg, beg. They have a 15-minute radio program of which they spend seven minutes telling people how to send money to them. What is the point? What is wrong with this picture? You only had 15 minutes. Wouldn't it be better to trust the Lord? If it's not the Lord's work, then it won't be sustained. But if it's the Lord's work, it will be. Get down on your knees and pray. Talk to your Father in secret. Instead of using the pulpit or using the the radio or the television to announce to people constantly your knees. And you're giving people this idea, God is broke. And everybody's got to pitch in and help out. And what do the people say about the churches, the cynics? What do they say? Ah, all they want is your... Exactly. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to prove them wrong. Voltaire, who was the French infidel, said when it comes to, re- to, when it comes to money, all men are of the same religion. How about that? When it comes to money, all men are of the same religion. So it's one of our blessings and our privileges as believers... To pray to our Father in secret and not to go around sending out these letters with our bank account number and all of that at the bottom of the letters in case people want to send an offering. Just pray and trust the Lord and let him supply your need. And not just about financial things. So many things we can pray about. I could tell you, or Ruth can tell the ladies at lunch if she wants to, about how we prayed, the two of us prayed Before we ever went to Spain, we were praying that the Lord would open the way and indicate his will. Nobody knew we were praying this, and the Lord answered our prayers. Otherwise, we'd probably still be living over in San Leandro. That was 25 years ago. Okay, so pray to your Father, and your Father shall reward you openly. He's got the goods, and he can do it. And you can be rewarded. An answered prayer is a reward in the sense that the Lord is saying, you did the right thing in coming to me. And he is pleased to give you what you need. God is not stingy. We don't have to go out there with a crowbar and try to pry it out of him or try to come up with all these fancy arguments and convince him what he needs to do. Just tell him. He's your father. Tell him. Prayer is not complicated. People are complicated, but not prayer. Okay, so we come to verse 7. We've got to keep moving here. Although, really, as I think about it, there isn't any trap door over here, is there? <laughs> Never mind. Okay, verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Okay, first of all, in verses 5 and 6, we had, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, in verses 7 and 8, we have, don't pray like the heathen. Do the heathen pray? Well, the hypocrites pray. They love to pray. And it's a shame that some Christians don't love to pray, and hypocrites love to pray. And it's a shame that some Christians don't pray 
when the heathen pray. They don't even know who they're talking to. When I, I think I told you this story in one of the previous visit, but you just have to put up with it because that's what old people do. They repeat themselves a lot. <laughs> one time when I was in Morocco, in the north of Morocco, visiting in a, in a town with some friends who had never been there before, and uh, we were walking through the middle of this village, and the call to prayer came. We were standing at a corner, at a little shop on the corner, and they were trying to buy some postcards and other things, you know, and uh, the call to prayer came. Allah Akbar. God is great. You know, and they start the call, and everything starts closing. The doors close, the windows close, and the people start going down the street. It's just a small town anyway, and it pretty much just emptied out. They're all going to the mosque. Come and pray. And they tell them, you know, when they have their first prayer right before daybreak, they pray five times a day, the Muslims. And we're going to witness to them. And we're trying to win them for Christ. And some of us don't pray one time a day. They go to the mosque and pray five times a day. We can't get people to come one time a week to pray, even if we pick them up in a limousine. Five times a day. They go to prayer in the early morning prayer. It says, come and pray. Prayer is better than sleep. Come and pray. There they go. Well, we're standing there. The friends are trying to finish their transaction. The man wants to go. And I'm waiting for them on the corner. And I hear this sound. Thump. Thump. Like somebody dragging something. And I walked over to the corner, right to the edge of the building. And I looked down the street. And right there, coming past me, was a man with no legs. He's dragging himself like this with these arms. His arms are very muscular. He's dragging himself. Nobody was with him. Nobody was helping him. No legs. He's dragging himself down this dirt street in this town. And he goes right by me and he just stops and he looks at me. It's like he was saying to me, what are you looking at? And I looked away kind of embarrassed, you know. He went on by. He went, it was about another block to go. And I watched him. He dragged himself all the way down that, the rest of that street and into the mosque. Five times a day I said, Lord, forgive me for the times I said I was too tired to go to prayer meeting. Am I an idiot or what? I mean, really. No legs and nobody carried him. He went. Why did he go? Because he wanted to. He's not even praying to his father in heaven. To a God that doesn't exist is not the same. He has no access to the true living God, but he's going down there to pray, the heathen. And when the Lord talks about how the heathen pray, here he says, they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. He said, don't pray like them. Don't use vain repetitions. Now that word vain repetitions is one word. You don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible. So don't get that idea. But I want to tell you, that word here is a word that if you translated it, you would say, don't, when you pray, don't, say, don't make sounds like bada, bada, bada. It means don't use ecstatic speech when you pray. Want me to make it plainer? Don't try to pray in unknown tongues. That's what it means. The word is batalogizomai. Don't make noises that aren't words when you pray. Don't do that, he says. That's what the heathen do. The Greeks did it. 
They, sometimes they got drunk and sometimes they didn't. A lot of times they did in their temples. They would fall into trances in their temples and they would speak in tongues, unknown tongues. They said it was the tongues of the angels or, or the gods, excuse me, with the Greeks. It was the tongues of the gods, the language of the gods. And they fall on the floor and off they'd go. In the Babylonian religion they had it. In the Egyptian religion they had it. In the Wicca religion, you know what Wicca is? Witchcraft. The Mormons, there have been cases of Mormons doing this. American Indians. When you pray, don't pray like the heathen. Don't use vain repetitions. Don't make sounds that aren't your language when you pray. Don't say bada, bada, bada. When you pray, God understands English. Your mother tongue isn't English, it's Spanish. God understands Spanish. You don't have to invent a language. What is your language? Hindi? What is your language? Arabic? God understands human language. Just speak to him. Don't try to invent something. Don't make strange noises and sounds when you pray. He says, don't be like them. They think they'll be heard for their much Speaking, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? I would rather speak five words with my understanding than how many? 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Five words of my understanding. See, they want to be heard for their much speaking. They think that this language and this thing that they're doing communicates with God in some special way. He says, don't do that. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the heathen. When you pray, talk to your father. Verse 9. After this manner, pray. Sorry, verse 8. Be not like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Speak to your father. He knows you. You know him. You speak the same language. Children speak the same language as their father. Speak to him. In your family language. Speak to him. He already knows what things you have need of. And some people got into this, this is verse 8, and said, oh, well, there you have it. You see, God knows what we need before we ask. And therefore, uh, since God is sovereign, and since man cannot change or alter his will in any way at all, therefore, we shouldn't pray because praying is meddling with the will of God. We should just trust God to do as he pleases. This is the way some of them talk. Your father knoweth what things you have need of. So why pray? God already knows it. So why pray? Let me give you three reasons why you should pray. First of all, because prayer is an act of humility. You're asking. Prayer is an act of humility. And as an act of humility, you could also say it's an act of confession, an admission of need, all of that together. Secondly, prayer is an act of trust and confidence. You're asking the Lord because you're trusting Him to do something on your behalf. He's the object of your confidence. And thirdly, because prayer is fellowship. If you're not in fellowship with God, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, or you're not forgiving people, as verses 14 and 15 say, 
If you have things wrong between you and the Lord, then it's messing up your prayer. In a marriage, in 1 Peter 3, 7, we read about that, don't we? That the husband should live in a correct way, in a loving and a knowledgeable way, an understanding way with his wife. And he tells him there, he says, that your prayers be not hindered. When there's strife in the marriage, it ruins fellowship with God. And it makes prayer difficult. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the psalmist said, the Lord will not hear me. And so when we come to pray, we need to have sin confessed. We need to be humble. We need to be confident in the Lord. We need to trust Him. And prayer is an act of fellowship. For that very reason, sometimes the Lord has to send problems into our lives, doesn't He? To get us to come back to Him. The Puritans used to say, Misery wonderfully indoctrinateth the soul in the art of prayer. What in the world does that mean? Well, what they were saying was simply this. You don't have to teach a person to pray when he's down. What do people say when they get into difficulties? Oh, we hear people say, oh my God. Even atheists, even agnostics, oh my God. Personally, I feel like that kind of language in everyday life, just expressing surprise at things and all, is pretty near taking God's name in vain. Unless you're really praying and calling out to the Lord. Look at the way the heathen use it. They make God's name a cheap commodity. It's just something to take in vain. But then there are people like Nehemiah. The king said, what is your request? And he prayed right there. He said, oh, my God. But he didn't say it to the king. He said it, oh, my Lord. He prayed to the Lord in heaven instantly. Okay, if it's like that, it's fine. But just all of this, you know, some car cut you off and you say, oh, my God. And maybe you said something else, too. Well, that kind of talk is taking the Lord's name in vain. But what's happening here is different. Your father knows what things you have need of before you ask. But it says before you ask, he knows what you need. He doesn't say he's going to give it to you. He says before you ask, he wants you to ask. He wants you to ask. He wants you to confess your dependence upon him. He wants you to go to the right source for your supplies. He wants you to be in fellowship with him. He wants to hear your voice. And so he says, ask. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, verse 9. Okay, now we come to how we should pray. When we pray, we don't pray like the heathen. We don't pray like the hypocrites. We pray like disciples. We pray like sons and daughters. We pray like members of the family because we say our first words are our Father. I had a Jesuit priest come to me. He visited us many times when we lived in the north of Spain. He tried to get us uh, to be ecumenical. He even came one time when we were having a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. He came to the meeting and he sat in the meeting. And then he stood up about ten minutes into the message and interrupted the preacher and argued with him and turned the meeting into a debate. Because it happened the day he came happened to be the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, the earth beneath, the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Or it says in the Spanish version, it says, rendir culto. Rendir culto means to have religious services for them. You know, pray to them, light candles to them, 
uh, have the day of the saint and take him out on his procession, all those things. You don't do that. Well, he couldn't stand it. Ten minutes into the message, he was on his feet. There was no more uh, Bible study that night because the rest of it was a debate. But he came to my house. He brought me books, Catholic books, and I gave him books. And uh, he tried to convince me to come to the Jesuit residence and pray. He said, look, at least just come and, and we can pray the Lord's Prayer together. At least we agree on that, don't we? I said, well, sorry. We don't agree on that. He said, why? How can we possibly not agree on the Lord's Prayer? I said, because of the first two words. Padre Nuestro, our Father. I said, look, there's a lot of children on the streets in Westcott, the city that we live in. There's a lot of children on the streets out there, and they're not my children. They don't call me Father. Why aren't they my children? Because they weren't born into my family. In order to call God your Father, and this is something that all Catholics do when they pray. They pray the Our Father. They pray the Lord's Prayer. And they lie to God in prayer. Now, if I'm offending somebody by saying that today, I just want you to know I'm your friend. I'm telling you the truth. Like when you go to the doctor to find out what's wrong and he has to tell you unpleasant news. But it's better to get the truth than for him to just tell you you got a virus when really you have cancer. And so this is the truth. The truth is, if you said, Our Father who art in heaven, and you have never been born again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your intentions might have been good. I don't deny that. But what you said was a lie. What did Jesus say to the most religious man in all of Israel, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3? He said, you must be born again. Because when you're born the first time, you are a human being. But you're spiritually dead. And when you're born the second time, Ephesians 2 talks about how the Lord gives us life who were dead in trespasses and sins. Physically, we were alive. But spiritually, we were dead. Cut off, no relationship, no fellowship, no communion with God. You has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then you're born into the family of God. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you recognize that he died for your sins on the cross at Calvary, that he took the punishment for you. You did the sinning. He did the dying. He paid the price. And you trust him. God applies the value of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross to you, he forgives your sins without you having to do anything to be forgiven. You don't have to use the rosary beads. You don't need the holy water. You don't need to go to Mass in confession and get forgiveness and get grace. Evangelical Catholics in America today, they're fooling a lot of people because they say they believe in salvation by grace. Excuse me? They don't believe in salvation by grace. Ask them what they mean by that, and this is what they'll tell you. That when you participate in the sacraments, God in return gives you grace. What is that then? What did Paul say in Galatians? What did he say in Romans chapter 4? It's either faith or works, but it can't be both. It can't be both. See, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. So you can say, oh, we believe in salvation by grace. We believe in that. 
What they really mean is, if I go to confession and I go to Mass, then as a result of me doing that, the Lord gives me. So I earned this by what I did. I convinced God to give it to me by what I did. I made myself eligible for this by what I did. If I don't do it, I don't get it. That's not grace. That's works. The Lord told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't say you need to be more religious. He said you need to be born again. Only people who have been born again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can truly call God Father. He's not your Father until you've been born again. He's your Creator. He's your God. He loves you. He wants to be your Father. But if you don't trust Him, if you don't respond to the Gospel, if you don't put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not going to be your Father. He's going to be your judge. Now, those are the plain and simple facts. Well, he got up and he was all all upset and out the door he went. He never came back to my house. What could I do? What could I do? Be a hypocrite and go down there and pray the Lord's Prayer with him? Who am I going to be fooling? Our Father, who art in heaven. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 God uh, tells us there through the Apostle Paul that he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what the word Abba is? That's Hebrew for daddy. In uh, Arabic, they say Baba. Baba, that's daddy. Little kids say it. We used to have, our kids used to play on the street in the neighborhood we lived in in, in Nazareth, on, an all Arabic neighborhood. They played in the streets and they learned by playing in the streets. They learned certain phrases with their friends and all. And I'm going to, I'm going to go tell daddy. It's like saying I'm telling on you. Just language of children. Not Our great and almighty God, we can't come into your presence. We don't know how to approach you. Have any of your children ever been that way with you? (laughs) Oh, holy mother, I'm unworthy to come into your presence. And they're on the floor out in the hallway somewhere looking down. They don't do that. The next thing you know, they're coming up and grabbing on, pulling on the on the on your skirt, pulling on your pants leg. They're looking up into your eyes. You hear, "Mommy, Daddy." It's the confidence of a child. Abba. He put the spirit. He says, "We because we are sons." That means those of us who have been born again. Because we are sons, he put the spirit. He sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father, teaching us how to say, Daddy, when we pray. So we say, Our Father. Now, we're going to come back to this in a minute, but I just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these intermediate verses. I want to come down to verse 13, but let's look at them quickly. He says, Our Father, and like we said last night, when Nehemiah began to pray, remember Nehemiah's prayer? Nehemiah's prayer is first occupied with the name and the attributes of God. Before he presents his request, he's worshiping. 
He's remembering who God is. Now, this is not a long preamble trying to get into God's presence. It's simply the, the worship, the appreciation of a man who knows he can come right into God's presence and pray. Our Father who art in heaven, in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2, we read this. When you come to the temple to pray, remember this. God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He says, don't be in a hurry to offer the sacrifice of, few, of fools. means a lot of words. Remember, God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Think about who you're talking to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Not anywhere else on earth is the name of God holy, except among the people that are his children. Everywhere else, it's a, it's a blasphemy. It's a cuss word. And if you think the cuss words are bad in English, you haven't heard anything until you've heard it in Spanish. Because they systematically take everything in the church, the communion cup, the host, and and... And the virgin that they say they believe in. And everything else, they take it and they they use all of that in some of the nastiest language you have ever heard. Things that they on one side say are holy. But this is the way they talk. Holy, the name of God. A special name. We don't say it lightly. We come to him in confidence. As our Father, but we remember who He is. He says He has a kingdom, verse 10. Thy kingdom come. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. The answer to that prayer in verse 10 of that particular request is in the book of Revelation. This request is rooted in Daniel 2.44. If you don't know Daniel 2.44, you need to write it down and look it up and memorize it. He says, In the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed or given to another. That's a key verse in the Bible. And the Lord is teaching them to pray for the coming of that kingdom. And when it comes, the book of Revelation is going to happen. And that means with all the tribulation, with all the judgments, with all the cataclysms, it appears to me the Lord is warning people on the earth with all the cataclysms that are happening now. He's warning them things are heating up. People don't want to listen. They just say, ah, nah, since the beginning of time, everybody, all these things have been happening. All things continue as they are. They don't want to believe it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Prayer is not so much just to get our will, is it? Prayer is not a, a spiritual arm-twisting session where we got God by the arm, you know, or we're down there like kids, you know, who are saying, oh, I want to go outside and play. I want to go outside and play. Let me go outside and play. Oh, I'm going to go outside and play. They fall on the floor. And they say, okay, I'm going to hold my breath. Then they start turning blue. Okay, go outside and play. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not to convince God to let us have our way. At the beginning of prayer, it says, thy will be done. Our daily bread, this day, which means we've got to come back tomorrow and pray, which means the day after tomorrow we've got to come back and pray. Because God wants us to be dependent upon him. It's the life of faith and dependence upon a heavenly father who took care. He already showed us, took care of millions of people in the desert. He gave them manna every day to eat. You don't think he can take care of you? Every day. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If it just said forgive us our debts or our transgressions and stopped there, we'd all be fine with that, wouldn't we? (laughs) We like to forgive, but sometimes we don't, or we like to be forgiven, but we don't like to forgive. When a person wants forgiveness or seeks forgiveness, we like to use that moment to feel superior. Well, we, it really bothered me what you did, and we give them a little sermonette, you know, and instead of being quick, as quick to forgive them as we would like them to be forgiving us. And many marriages could be healed of a lot of problems if that simple advice were practiced. Forgive as you would like to be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, and this is what we're going to conclude with. I want you to think about this. As somebody called this the theology of the Lord's Prayer. The theology of the Lord's Prayer. For, he says. Deliver us from evil. For. For means because. It's the only explanation given in the whole Lord's Prayer. The only explanation. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I was in... Um, London, about two weeks ago, I went to the British Museum. In the British Museum, I saw all the relics of past kingdoms. The Syrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they're all gone. They're just museum relics now. Thine is the kingdom forever. A kingdom that will never end. Edi Amin, does anybody remember him of Uganda? He, put it, he made all these medals and put them on himself, all these military decorations. He proclaimed himself emperor for life. <laughs> I mean, really. Thine is the kingdom forever. The power, and that word power is the word we get our English word dynamite or dynamo from. It doesn't really mean authority, but it can include that because he certainly has it. But it means the power to get things done. Ephesians 3.20 says... God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, what congressman can do that? What wealthy friend can do that? Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, I can think of a lot. I don't know about you. That doesn't begin to touch what God can do. And the glory. This is why God is going to answer prayer. This is why he can't answer some prayers, because to answer them would not be to, con- to, to give what the people ask for, would not be for his glory. It would not be for their good, for their blessing. It would not bring glory to God. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And the person that this belongs to, that we can talk to in prayer, is our Father. Remember that. You don't have any way of having a personal interview with the president of this country the president of the European Union, or other people. You could just sit down at the table with them and say, if they were your father, you know, you could just say, look, Dad, what about this? When are you going to do something about this? You'll never have an interview with them. And even if you did, your voice wouldn't mean much to them. You have an interview any time you want it with the king of the universe. The king of the universe. The eternal king. The one who has all power. And the one whose glory will be forever. And so, if you don't pray, excuse me for saying this, if you don't pray, it's like you're you're maybe crazy or something. 
And if you don't pray, that's a big boo-boo. You have access to the eternal king of glory. He's your father, and he wants to hear your voice. So pray. Let's, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time that we could be together. We give you so much thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ and for the blessing that we have as believers in him and disciples, followers of him, to be able to come in prayer to our Father. We thank you for his teaching, teaching us to pray and making it possible by what he did at the cross of Calvary, making it possible for people like us to call God our Father and to come to your presence in prayer. We thank you that you love us, that you know what we need before we ask, and you're just waiting to hear our voice with all the love of a father for his children. Help us, teach us, Lord, to pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.